When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Turn up your volume. Your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. The Sick Podcast. With Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire back to Lafleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> there is a bomb. Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est la victoire des Canadiens. You found the dogs. John, you found the dogs! He found the dogs! And all together they worked a young team to the top. And now a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup! Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground. Your premier gaming destination. It's going to be sick. Marinero on this Wednesday, September 20th. It is 10.01 p.m. How is everyone doing tonight? It is the Sick Podcast, and we are brought to you by La Bit ATB, brewed in Quebec, a winner of a dozen international awards. La Bit ATB offers quality microbrewery beers made with uh, premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Bit ATB, embrace your true nature also brought to you in part by playground over 600 machines poker tournaments and playground casino games daily promotions and unmatched customer service why go anywhere else located just over the mercy bridge only minutes from downtown montreal playground and also brought to you in part by energy transportation group mike chinquino sean gerard a leading full service logistics provider serving all of north america they are driven to be different. Today was a big day for the Montreal Canadiens because it was the kickoff of the pro camp, basically. A lot of players came in, and uh, Marty St. Louis came in, and Kent Hughes came in, and they said, hey, this is what we're going to do. Uh, they answered a bunch of questions, and they gave us a much better idea of what the expectations are going into the ceiling. And one guy who was uh, present asking questions and wanting to know uh, as he always is and always does, is Stu Cowan from the Montreal Gazette and HockeyInsideOut.com. So without further ado, I figured he would be a great collaborator tonight. And here he is, uh, I would imagine, after taking the dogs out for a walk probably about an hour ago, which is, uh, I think, pretty much the routine. Usually takes the dogs out for a walk at around 8.30 at night. Does he not? 
You're absolutely correct, Tony. About an hour uh, ago, my dog is actually sleeping at my feet right now while we're doing this. Oh, that's pretty cool. So yeah. no chance he's going to wake up and start barking during the no, show? No, no, she's okay. done. She's done. An hour walk and she's done. Oh, is that right, eh? Wow, okay. Uh, pretty good. Uh, pretty cool. Uh, I don't know about you, but I uh, I can't get enough of Marty St. Louis speaking. I mean, some of the quotes today, some of the answers, he's so cool, calm, collected. And I find that although he keeps it extremely professional, he also keeps it very casual. Yeah. And he talks to you as if he's talking to one of his buddies who'll go over for a visit at his house or one of his buddies over a bit to TB and having a beverage. Uh, I just, I love listening to him. And, and there I am today and I'm watching it over the Canadian's Twitter account. Basically it's like on a zoom and I'm watching him and I'm like fascinated by just every single word. And I'm holding on to every single word. I love the guy, man. I'm not going to lie to you. He's my favorite Montreal Canadiens coach in a long, long time. Tony, he's so smart, articulate, and thoughtful. And he doesn't talk in cliches. And you ask him a question, and he thinks. You see him, like, a lot of, you ask him a question, I asked him today about, you know, how he's, you know, all the focus on the development of the players. And I said, you know, how have you developed as a coach? It's easy to forget that he's an inexperienced NHL head coach. And he pauses, and you see he, he's thinking his answer in his head and how he's going to word it. And then he comes out. I mean, communication is his greatest skill. And I think with the players, I mean, you know, the Canadians talked about how they wanted a modern-day coach when Jeff Gordon and Ken Hughes went looking to find someone to replace uh, Dominic Ducharme. And that's what they have in Marty St. Louis. It's just his ability to communicate not only with his players, but also with the media. And that's a big part of the job about being coach of the Canadians and in both languages. And it's so sort of funny sometimes when he'll uh, have to ask Chantal McAbee how to say something in yeah, French because he yeah. forgets because he's you know, lived in English since he was about 18 years old, went to the University of Vermont. But he's so – and I asked him about that when I had a one-on-one -on -one with him about you know, asking Chantal, and he said he realizes the power of every word he says as coach of the Canadians, and he wants to make sure he's always right. So that's why – there's times when he's not certain about a word in French or something, he will ask Chantal to make sure he says it correctly because he understands how much Canadians fans and the media listen to every word he says. And as somebody covering the team, I mean, what a joy and pleasure to have somebody who's so thoughtful with his answers. That is, I texted uh, my boss, Jeff Blonde, today uh, uh -huh. after the press conference and said Marty's in mid-season form with his quotes already. But that's just the way he is. And, and the main thing is, Tony, he's just confident. He's a very confident man. He's con he was confident as a player. Um, you know, he not drafted, uh, passed over. His mom always used to tell him, his late mother used to tell him, just show them, Marty. Just show them what you can do. Yeah. And when he was hired as coach of the Canadians, and I asked him about getting the job and no experience, and he said he was going to follow the same thing. I'm just going to show you what you can do, what, what he can do. And he showed us. And again. Amazing. When I asked him last season, where do you rank communication and importance as an NHL head coach? He said, number one. And he's absolutely right. You look at what happened with Mike Babcock in uh, Columbus. And and his way of communicating with players is a lot different than Marty St. Louis' way of communicating with players. And it doesn't work with today's players. And Marty, speaking with the players, young, old, you know, I saw with Joel Edmonds at the end of last season, they love playing for him. They, yeah. they, they're as interested in what he has to say as fans and the media are. They just He looks at the game differently. Joel Edmonds said he's – he sees things that he hadn't seen as a veteran player, and you look at things differently. David Savard told me the same thing. And they're not blowing smoke. 
I mean, these guys really enjoy playing for Marty St. Louis, and, and he's a smart, confident guy, and I think you have to be that to be a successful coach in the NHL today, and especially with the Canadians. We're going to get back to Marty St. Louis in just a minute, but it's going to be a pretty cool transition because, you know, there's a little bit of Marty St. Louis in Paul Byron. Yep. In that, in that mm -hmm. Marty St. Louis, not a big guy, obviously, probably five foot eight. Paul Byron, give or take, probably five foot nine, maybe a little bit taller than Marty St. Louis. Uh, St. Louis, thicker, probably, uh, you know, when he made his way into the National Hockey League, about, uh, you know, 178 pounds. Paul Byron, when he was drafted, St. Louis was undrafted. Paul Byron was drafted mm -hmm. sixth round, 179th overall in 2007 by the Buffalo Sabres, but didn't make the Buffalo Sabres. After three years of playing in the queue with Gatineau, he found himself in the American Hockey League with Portland for two seasons, then went up to the National Hockey League to the Sabres for eight games, uh, back down the next year in the American Hockey League, uh, gets picked up by the Calgary Flames, plays some games with them. Next season, he's back in the American Hockey League, then after that, he's back with Calgary. The season after that, he's back in the American Hockey League. And then he plays about a season and a half with the Calgary Flames. And he ends up on waivers and the Montreal Canadiens end up picking him up in 2015. And uh, he plays, what, uh, seven years with the Montreal Canadiens or about six and a half years. And he went down with an injury last year. And earlier today... What had to happen, happened. What we expected to happen, happened. Paul Byron officially retired. And you can't help for cheer for guys like this, too. I feel for Paul Byron having to retire the way he did because of an injury, because of that hip injury. He, he still wanted to play. He was hoping he could play. His body just told him he can't anymore. But what a great hire by the Canadians. I mean, your, your comparison to Marty St. Louis, the small guy who was told he could never make it, and he did. The other comparison really smart guy, really articulate guy. One of the nicest athletes I've ever dealt with, professional athletes. Um, just a class act on and off the ice. Uh, a quick story, I remember a couple of years ago, uh, the Gazette asked me the last minute they were looking for a Father's Day story and uh, asked if I had any ideas. I said, well, you know, maybe Paul Byron, one of the few Canadians around in the summer. I don't know if he's mm -hmm. going to do it. We'll check. Got a hold of the Canadians. They got a hold of Paul Byron. No problem. He sat down and talking to what it was like about being a dad. He's just, he's a good dad. He's a good, um, you know, the video that Kane did last season of his son uh, taking part in the skills yeah. competition. And what a polite, nice young kid, uh, fluently bilingual and a chip off the old block. He's just, you know, Paul Byron's a class act. And I can't think of a better guy uh, to help with development. I mean, Logan May, who's been living with Paul Byron this summer since he came back, came to Montreal to train. And what a smart move by the Canadians to put Logan May with everything he's been through and, and the story yeah. behind him, uh, living with Paul Byron and his family, getting adjusted to Montreal, learning what it's like to be a pro athlete, learning what it takes to be a pro athlete on and off the ice. So I think it's just it's a really, really smart hire by the Canadians to keep him around, a great ambassador for the team, uh, bilingual, uh, comfortable with the media, comfortable with the public, and like I said, just a really, a, a really class act. And as I said, I'm, I'm sad for Paul Byron that his career ended the way it is, but I'm really happy for him and his family that he's going to get to stay in Montreal. He's still going to be involved with hockey. He's still going to be a big part of the Canadians. And I can see him progressing also uh, to a higher position as time goes on because he's just he's such a, 
uh, a smart, intelligent guy yeah. who knows what it's like, knows what you have to do. When, when he talked to you, the letter that he, he, yeah. uh, people haven't read it already, the letter that was sent out on Twitter that he wrote, it was just fantastic. And he talked about, you know, with the Hull Olympics, uh, Benoit Grew and Charlie Henry, uh, who were running the Hull Olympics at times, coming to his family and sitting in the living room and telling him that they believed in him. They believed he could play junior hockey. He was playing junior B at the time. They believed he could play major junior. And that was a big, big step in his career to get a chance with Hull. And then the re from there, you know, he had to play in Portland for a while in the AHL, as you mentioned. Nothing came easy for Paul Byron. He had to work for everything. And that's a really good message he can share with the younger Canadians players um, as a development coach, just the, the, nothing comes easy, whether you're a first round pick, a sixth round pick, or you're worried drafted. Like yeah. You got to work, you got to earn your spot. And Paul Byron did that. And what a great example for the young players on the Canadians to look up to him. Yeah. You know, part of me feels bad for Byron too, but at the same time, I, I, you know, I take comfort in, in, in taking a look at this approach uh, or, or this way. And that is, had you told Byron when he was playing for the Gatineau Olympics in the Quebec major junior mm -hmm. hockey league, and he's a you know not very big at that point, yeah. and it was a big man's game back in 2010. The National Hockey League was, and you would have told Paul Byron that he would have had, he would have made the National Hockey League and had the career that he would have had, and uh, make himself about 20 million dollars in the process. He would have taken it. So oh, yeah. you know, in the end, I feel bad for him, but I'm oh, yeah, for him, yeah. right? Yeah, but but what a warrior too. I mean, remember the, I'm trying to remember who the Florida Panthers defenseman was that he had to fight there after he had um... Mackenzie Weger. That's right, Mackenzie yeah. Weger, who, who there's a reason there's weight classes in boxing and UFC, right? I mean, yeah. Paul Byron was giving up about 50 pounds to this guy. But the code in hockey, even though Byron was suspended for a high hit on him, the code was he still had to fight this guy, and he did, and he yeah. got concussed. And it was just it's just another example of Paul Byron, how he was willing to do anything and everything he had to do to make it in the NHL and stay there. What and a really scary scene that was, by the way. It always is oh. when somebody gets knocked out and somebody gets concussed. But, man, that was scary. That was that was just, I mean, Paul Byron's not a fight. As I said, he's giving up like 50 pounds to this guy. It was, it was ridiculous that it happened. It's part of that stupid old code that the NHL has. Paul yeah. Byron's never been a dirty hockey player. He's never been a vicious hockey player. It was a high hit, borderline suspension. It was definitely a penalty. He got suspended. But the fact that he came back and he still had to fight Uyghur um, is, is, is something that's wrong with hockey, but Paul Byron accepted the challenge and, and he fought him and, and he paid a big price for it. And, you know, player development is all about consistency. It's all about discipline. It's about working hard each and every day, trying to own your skills, trying to improve your skills. And Paul Byron needed to get better every day to stay in the league and become the kind of player that he was once upon a time, one of the quickest players in the National Hockey League and a real menace on the penalty kill. And of course, we're all going to remember his goal versus the Toronto Maple Leafs, his breakaway goal in the playoffs where he was absolutely off to the races. So a great hire by the Montreal Canadiens in the end, you know, it, it's 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 a it's bittersweet. He retires due to injury. It's unfortunate, but he's going to be working in player development. He's a real. He's really happy in Montreal. He's been living in Candiac for for quite some time, and uh, you know what? He wanted to retire here, and he's going to retire here, and he's going to work for this organization. It's good. It's really good. Speaking of injuries, we knew that Christian Dvorak was injured, and we knew that he wasn't going to be ready to start the season. But today, Kent Hughes told members of the media that Dvorak will be back sometime in November. 
our buddy Eric Engels asked Kent Hughes, like, why in November? Like, was there some kind of a setback? Let's hear from the Montreal Canadiens general manager. Communication on Dvorak. Can you explain why it is that you won't be ready until November? Was there a setback? We saw him on the ice here last week. Is, no, I, there's no setback. I, I think the, um, you know, the surgeon wants to take this thing very cautiously and just make sure that he's 1,000%. And, and probably some of it comes from our direction in terms of saying, hey, we're not looking to rush people back here. We want people, we don't want to go through the cycle that we went through again. So if Devo's got to wait a game or two or a week or two longer to just ensure that he's ready to return permanently, we're, we're going to do that, right? We don't want to, I think, psychologically speaking, having to go through that again where a guy returns and he's out and he's back, then I think it's just going to, uh, the, the psychological impact on everybody that here we go again is going to be difficult. So we're going to take it conservatively, make sure that Devo's fully ready to come back. Very classy. He didn't say anything. He didn't throw anyone under the bus. But if you listen very carefully, you can tell that Kent Hughes was frustrated of the injury situation the past couple of years. I, uh, that's the sense that I got anyways, Stu, that you can yeah. sense that he thought that some players came back too early and they re-injured themselves. The, the thing is, it's, it's easy. You know, Graham Ryan Band got fired. And it's easy to look at him as a scapegoat in the situation. But at the end of the day, the physiotherapist or Graham Ryman doesn't have the final say on whether a guy's going to play, whether Brendan Gallagher's going to play on a broken ankle or Sean Monahan's going to play on a broken foot. A lot of times it comes down to the coach, the GM, the player's agent. There's a lot of people involved in the decision that's made. So I think, you know, Graham Ryman's been made a sort of a scapegoat for this, but I think management with the Canadians is equally responsible. And I think they learned their lesson last season from what happened with Monaghan, what happened from Gallagher, uh, what happened with Matheson. There was a lot of guys who came back from injuries too early. <coughs> were pardon me, pardon me, school, but I'm, I'm curious about what you just said because, and it's an interesting point, but do we think that the Montreal Canadiens wanted the players to come back early in a year where they clearly wanted to rebuild? Well, and between it's, you it's, and I, without saying it, you know that they that wanted to have a great chance though. at Connor Bedard? There's a lot that goes into it too. There's agents involved too. There's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of moving parts in the decision whether a guy's going to play or not. And you know, at, at the end, I mean, the the, phys, the medical team gives a report here. They may suggest whether they think he should play or shouldn't play. Um, but again, a, it's not one person making that decision at the end of the day whether these guys are going to play or not. And for Brendan Gallagher and players lie to the lie to the trainers too, right? They they say they're fine when they're not fine. The thing with Monahan and Gallagher's was broken bones, which you know should show up in an X-ray, right? You know what you're getting into. And yeah. I remember being I remember being in Calgary for the game and watching Sean Monahan come in with the, the the cast on his foot. That was the first time we saw it, and then playing in that game, understandable why they would have let him play in that game, you know, with his history in Calgary, and it was a game he had marked on his calendar. But why he was allowed to continue to play after that, but at the end of the day, what Kent Hughes said today, the Canadians as an organization, I think, learned that they're not going to rush guys back anymore. Excuse <laughs> me, Christian Dvorak is, is the first example of that this season. And I think we'll probably see with other players moving forward, too. Yeah. My sense is, and, and we won't uh, continue on this for much longer, but my sense is, and I'm just reading between the lines here and trying to connect the dots, right? I have no information whatsoever. But I kind of get the feeling that 
the Canadian man, the Canadians management team probably thinks the medical staff last year had to put their foot down a little bit more and probably didn't. I can, yeah. can be completely wrong here because I understand your point. Yeah. Agents, you know, players always want to play, especially yeah. if their contract is up or especially if they want to prove something to themselves or they want to play for stats. But if the medical staff puts their foot yeah. down and the medical staff sees the players practicing and says something's not right here, if they would put their yeah. foot down and say you're not playing, you shouldn't be playing. I just think it's too easy to blame one person. I mean, I do remember that I was in Nashville just after uh, New Year's. It was like January 2nd, I think, when they were practicing. Gallagher went down really hard in the corner during a practice. And yeah. he told me later at the end of the season that it was his ankle acting up again. And uh, he came back and finished the practice, which I thought was ridiculous. I mean, he went to the bench with Graham Ryan at that point. He came back and finished the practice, which I thought was crazy. I mean, at that point, you think – Maybe Ryan Ben should have been the one saying, no, you're not going back out in the practice. Uh, Gallagher said he wanted to go back in the practice because it was sort of a punishment skate after they got smoked New Year's Eve in Washington. And Gallagher, being Gallagher, wanted to be part of it, didn't want to be there with his teammates. And then he played the next game in Nashville, and that was the last game he played, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he was out for the rest of the season. So, as I said, you, you can't just blame one person for this, for guy that there's, there's other people involved. There's a lot of people involved in the decision. But from a Canadian standpoint, uh, for them, at least a good good thing, it looks like they have learned from mistakes from the past and we're going to be more cautious with players now when it comes to whether they're ready to come back in the lineup or not. All right. Um, Kent Hughes was asked about, you know, the kind of season that they're going to have and what the expectations are around the league and what the expectations are internally. Listen to this. Be more... Um, focus on what their internal expectations are. Uh, I, I don't know what those are. I'm sure everybody, you know, starts the season expecting that they're going to compete for a playoff spot, and I expect them to do that. I expect them to uh, – I don't expect them to roll over and think the season is done. Every single season there's a team that makes the playoffs who doesn't make the playoffs that's a surprise to everybody. You know, I don't know if it was Pittsburgh or whoever it was that was surprised not to have made it last year or Seattle to have done what they did. Uh, that's why we play the game. So um, I'm not worried about the expectations. I think, you know, when you take ownership of your own career and you take ownership of the team's plight, each individual does that, then, you know, you're in a better position to have more success than people would expect externally. Is he saying that the goal is to make the playoffs, or is he not saying that? I'm a little bit confused. Well, of course they want to make the playoffs, Tony. I mean, it's a business, right? You, the, it's There's more money made when you make the playoffs, more excitement. It's good for a rebuilding team to get a taste of victory, get a taste of the playoffs. But, you know, Jeff Gorton is criticized in some places where you're saying you didn't want to use the P word at the golf tournament uh, for playoffs. But it's an unrealistic expectation for this team to make the playoffs this season, I think. They're, just, they're so young. There's rebuilding. They're going to be young on defense. they got two goalies who haven't uh, – uh, none of them are really a legitimate number one goalie. They both have injury issues. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why this team probably won't make the playoffs. Having said that, tell that to the players. I mean, Nick Suzuki at the golf tournament talked to them, no, we want to make the playoffs. We want to win every game. That's the way professional athletes are. They're not, they don't care about uh, uh, rebuild or, or whatever. Um, but – Gordon took pressure off them that they're not they're not expected to make the playoffs this year. Man, it's still the focus is on development. But would they like to make the playoffs? Of course they would, and that's more or less what Ken Hughes said today. 
um, the players are going to try their best to get into the playoffs. And Marty St. Louis is going to coach his best, and they're all going to try. I just don't think they have the team to get there. But last season at this time, you know, the New, Jer- New Jersey Devils finished 28th in the regular season two years ago, where the Canadians finished last season, and then they finished third in the overall NHL standings last season. Nobody expected that. I mean, I don't expect the Canes finished third in the, the overall standings this year, but I would be totally shocked if they somehow made the playoffs. No, I mean, that's as Ken Hughes said, that's why they play the games. A lot of things would have to go right. You know, Uras and Slavkovsky would have to have a great second season. Uh, Monahan would have to play really well and stay healthy. Mike Matheson would have to keep playing like he did last year. Brendan Gallagher would have to stay healthy and maybe be a 20-goal scorer, if not a 30-goal scorer. Again, there's a lot of things that would have to happen. But you look at last season, almost everything that could go wrong did go wrong with injuries and whatnot, and maybe everything can go right this year. But I think that it's a re- it's not realistic, and I understand why Jeff Gordon did what he did. It's not realistic at the start of the season to put the pressure on these players that we expect you to make the playoffs. Would they like them to make the playoffs? Yes, I'm sure management would like this team to make the playoffs this year. All right. Uh, you asked Kent Hughes. Uh, what makes Marty St. Louis special? Let's hear from the Canadian general manager. On development of your players, young players, um, people might forget you're also got a sort of an experienced head coach. What's impressed you most about Marty's development as a head coach since he's taken over the position? He's so, um, I think there's two things, Stu. He's very forward thinking and he's very thorough. So sometimes, you know, I'll. I'm not thinking of something and he calls and says, Hey, can we meet? We got to talk about this. And, and, and I think he, he, he's always considering the impact of one event or one circumstance on something down the road. So they're forward thinking. They work a lot. They, they, um, you know, the, we were in Buffalo and they were, the coaches were meeting every day for hours, you know, I set it on some of it just to, to make sure I understand what they're trying to accomplish. But they, um, they're bright. They're thoughtful. It's not just Marty. It's the whole group. There you have it. He starts on Marty St. Louis to answer your question. And then he says, it's not just Marty. It's the whole group. Well, not just the group of coaches, Tony. The entire management. I mean, Jeff Gordon's smart and thoughtful. And Kent Hughes is smart. They've got a lot of intelligent people running this hockey team now. Uh, thoughtful, um, good people, treat people well on and off the ice, treat the media well also, so far anyway. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's just they're, they're, they got a bunch of smart guys running this hockey team now. Uh, says, starting with Gorton and then Hughes and Marty St. Louis and his coaching staff. But it's interesting, too, because Marty's kept the coaching staff he had when he came in, um, apart from Luke Richardson leaving. Uh, to become head coach of the Blackhawks. He hasn't gone out to get his own guys. He's, he's obviously comfortable working with uh, the guys he has. And uh, they seem to, from what Ken Hughes said, they work well together. They're smart guys. They have a lot of experience from playing in the NHL. Um, not as much experience coaching in the NHL, some of them, including Marty. But they're learning. As I, I wrote a column today um, just about Marty's development as a coach. And, you know, the one thing he doesn't have is experience behind the NHL bench, but there's only one way to get that, right? And that's what he's doing now. And uh, he said, you know, he's learning more and more about, like, game planning and, like, what works against one team that might not work against the other team. But he also said that's part of the game he loves. He's a hockey junkie. He, he's, yeah. he's He Big can't time. get enough hockey. Like, he's one of these guys, you know, even when he wasn't – when he was just coaching his kids and he wasn't in the NHL, he was still watching games and watching systems and breaking things down. He's a hockey – He all of these guys, Gordon Hughes – 
see that they can't get enough hockey. Like they're just obsessed by it and, and they're smart guys and, and they're able to figure things out and figure out, uh, uh, problems. And, and I think, you know, that, that comes down way- to three things. They do hard workers, mm-hmm. passionate yep. and perfectionists and confident. Yeah. Confident. And these are guys, you know, if can't use, if it doesn't mean they have, what I like is they have a rebuilding plan. They're sticking to it. It makes sense. This plan. Will it work? It looks like it probably will, but it might not. You never know. I think and if it doesn't work, I think the plan's amazing, by the way. If it doesn't work and Ken Hughes gets fired, he'll go back to either being an agent again. He's got more money already than he could probably ever spend. He'll go back to living at his nice house in the suburbs in Boston and his home in Cape Cod, his summer home or whatever, and live a very, very nice life. Same as Marty St. Louis. If he gets fired, if it doesn't work and he gets fired, I'm sure another team will pick him up as a coach or he goes back to his nice like. They're all they're in a position where they don't as passionate and consumed by hockey as they are. If they didn't have hockey, they'd still be okay. Like they're they're financially set guys. They 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 have a plan. They're confident it's going to work. They're going to stick to it. And if it doesn't work, what's the worst thing that can happen yeah. to them? You know, still, they're, listen, to they're they're in a position. They're in a good position to be at in life at their age. And I asked Ken Hughes this when I had a one on one with him after he got the job. Like. You know, he had a really successful agent business. He made a lot of money as an agent. Big time. Big time. Uh, he didn't have any – well, he didn't have the pressure that he has now. He could go out for dinner with his wife and not be recognized. <clears throat> he didn't travel that much. He could play mm-hmm. a lot of golf. I said, no, like, why would you give all that up for this? And he said, because I like a challenge. And this is the challenge. And he said the only two places he would have done it were Montreal and Boston, the connections to those two cities. So it's it's – this is a challenge – to him he loves the challenge same with marty st louis yeah they're they're a hundred percent in on this challenge and they have a good plan and again we'll see four years down the line five years down the line if it worked or not and by the the way the plan they have makes sense and so far uh it seems to be working jeff moss has taken a lot of heat over the last couple of years because uh, obviously his tenure as owner of the montreal canadians has come with a share of mistakes uh, but this dual-headed monster of Gordon and Hughes, I think, is his most brilliant idea ever. And they really are 50-50 in on all of this, right? Uh, yeah. Some will say that Gordon maybe handles some of the, uh, uh, some of the, uh, the you know, the, the first phone call that comes in rings on his phone, maybe. Uh, others will say that uh, Hughes probably handles more of the contracts, which you would think because, obviously, he is a former agent. But, uh, you know, I'll look at it as a whole 50-50 and a dual-headed monster thing. I was looking today. I've I've since nicknamed these two gentlemen stockbrokers because the players are uh, the companies, the stocks. Mm-hmm. They they have portfolios. And take a look at Casey the Smith. They had four goalies. So let's just say they had four stocks that were banks. And they said, you know what? We can afford to sell one of these stocks. And let's go out and get another stock of something we might need more of. And they got a forward stock. But every deal they make, Stu, they seem to add assets and add draft picks. Tyler Toffoli, besides getting Pitlick and Emil Heineman, a prospect, they got a first-round pick and they got a fifth-round pick. When they traded Ben Sherratt, besides getting Tyler Smolanik, a prospect, they got a first-round pick. And they got a fourth-round pick. When they traded Brett Kulak, besides getting William Lagason, they got a second-round pick, and they got a seventh-round pick. When they traded Lekkonen, 
besides getting Justin Barron, they got a second round pick. When when they traded, um, who was the other guy? Uh, Petrie and Paling. Mm-hmm. They got Matheson and they got a fourth round pick. When when they acquired Sean Monahan, they got a conditional first round pick with that. When you know, and and the list goes on and on. And they when they traded Joel Edmondson, they got a third round pick. They got a seventh round pick. When they made this deal, the three way deal with Hoffman and Pitlick, they they ended up getting Nathan Legare and they got a second round pick. Uh, you know, and then they end up trading the Smith once again, and they end up getting Tanner Pearson and a third round pick. When they traded Petrie to Detroit, they got Gustav Lindstrom, and they got you know a fourth round pick. The, the Tony, they have eleven. They have eleven picks in each of the next two drafts. Amazing. Amazing. And in 2025, they have two picks in each of the first, second, third, and fourth rounds. Now, they probably won't end up using all those picks, but those picks can be used in other trades or other kinds of deals. As you said, they're collecting stocks or commodities. And the other thing, Tony, is that with Kent Hughes, what impresses me, and with Marty St. Louis, they're very honest. They're honest with the players. Uh, Jeff Petrie, when Jeff Petrie asked to be traded, uh, for family reasons, and and you know, Kent Hughes said, "Well, I'm going to do my, I'm going to do my best to accommodate you, but I'm not going to give you up for nothing. And if I can't get something that of value, you know, you're going to have to play here." Then he did make a good trade, he made an amazing trade for Mike Matheson, and then when he got Petrie back, he sort of laughed. He said, "You know, when he talked to Petrie the next day, he said, I know I'm the last person you probably thought you'd be talking to again, but don't worry, we're going to trade you again. Uh, I'm not going to hold out like to get everything I can." Like, oh, don't worry, I'm going to trade you as soon as I can get a deal that makes sense. And he did that. And it's just that honesty with players. The Smith, he told the Smith, uh, he told us after he got the Smith that he was going to be looking to trade him. And he told the Smith, no, don't worry, I'm not going to bury you in the minors. The goalie market's not there right now. I'm going to try and find a way to move you to a team. And he did. It's just that, you know, Mark Bergeron wasn't always honest with the players. And uh, that backfired him in many, backfired him in many ways. Just the fact that Hughes is, Honest with guys, that goes a long way, not only to how he's dealt with those players, but those players talk with other players around the league and they see it and they realize that, geez, this is a, you know, Montreal's not a bad place to play. You've got Marty St. Louis as a coach. You've got a GM who's honest and treats players well, respects players. It's, it's, it's a big change from, from what it was. And that's one of the things I admire the most. And the fact that Ken Hughes was an agent, he knows how players think and what, what, really worries them or concerns them, whether it's on the ice or off the ice or with family, he gets it. He understands it. He's dealt with jam. So he knows both sides. And I think that's a real advantage he has is he really knows how, what makes players tick, what makes them happy, what pisses them off. Uh, and he's honest with them and, and kudos to him. I mean, running any business or being the boss of anything, I think your employees, number one thing they want you to do is be honest with them. And that's what Ken Hughes is. All right. Okay. So now, uh, I, I think one of the most interesting parts of uh, of the the question and answer period today was actually a question um, to Marty St. Louis. I think it was Eric who asked it and basically said, "What did you do with Kirby Doc? And are you going to apply the same method with Alex Newhook?" Let's listen to Marty St. Louis' answer. And Alex Newhook kind of came here under similar circumstances. Players with big potential. What did you learn from the experience with Kirby enabling him to reach a bit more of his potential that you can apply to getting Alex Newhook off to a good start in Montreal? I mean, don't overcoach him. You know, I think um, 
with Docker, I just really build a relationship with him. I wanted him to, to, to trust me and, and so that, you know, when you do have hockey discussions, um, he trusts them, you know? Because I think if, you know, they're young players, they have, they have flaws in their game, you know, but I think as coaches, it's easy to try to correct everything right now, you know, and then sometimes it's too much and they lose the feel for the game. Uh, so for me, it's just taking my time with him, just the way same I did with Docker, let him play. And then, you know, I need to see from my own eyes, uh, uh, these are one-off or this is, this is a trend, you know, and I was cautious in, in, in really going to, to watch tape on him because I don't have the context or the environment he was playing in. So I wanted, and I, and I honestly, I, with Docker, I did the same thing. And when I watched him play in camp last year, I was, I was impressed, you know, and obviously <clears throat> he showed what he could do. But uh, to me, like all these guys, like the young guys, and you know, you got to build a relationship before you really start diving into hard coaching. Modern day coach, huh? Well, when he talked about you can't overcoach young players, people wonder, you know, how Cole Caulfield only scored one goal and was it 30 games with Dominic Ducharme as head coach, and then he scored, what, 48 and 83 games with Marty St. Louis. Dominic Ducharme overco overcoached them. It was too worried about where he had to be in the system or what he had to do and too much stuff going out, whereas Marty just said, go play. We'll fix the problems as we go along. We'll watch video. And even uh, the other thing I like is, like, he doesn't want to prejudge guys. Uh, as you said with Newhook, he didn't want to watch a lot of video in Colorado because he didn't know what the situation was in Colorado, what the yeah. environment was. Was he happy in the room? Was he not happy in the room? He just wants to give him a fresh start. I and, love I love hearing that because yeah. far too many coaches in, in yeah. all sports, whether it's amateur or professional, see a player once either in a game, in an action, on a play or on tape, in a highlight reel or whatever, and – they stamp that player. This player is like this. And for them to get that stamp out of their head, sometimes it takes a very long time. And sometimes that stamp will stick with them and that player forever. This guy doesn't do this. He says, Well, that's that, that's sort of how Ryan McDonough ended up being a throw in in the Scott Gomez trades. Apparently, Bob Gainey went and watched him play one time or didn't have a good game and didn't think much of him. It's, I, I just love the way that Marty is like, no, he's gonna, and, and you got to remember, he's 22 years old, Alex Newhook. Cole Caulfield's 22 years old. Kirby Doc's 22 years old. These are young kids that playing in the NHL isn't easy. Kirby Doc struggled in Chicago, but he was 18 years old. Slavkowski struggled with the Canadians last year. He's 18 years old. It's not easy to play in the NHL, especially when you're a teenager. There's going to be all kinds of growing pains. And the thing with Marty, I did mean, you hear, he's also. Did you, did you hear what the panel said on Overdrive? And uh, on, on Toronto Sports Radio, I think it was either t earlier today or yesterday, they were talking about the Canadians, and one of the mm -hmm. three panelists said, uh, no, Canadians are not going to make the playoffs. They got no chance. And by the way, he might be right. And then Kirby Doc's name came up, and he said, well, if Doc was so good, why did Chicago trade him? Well, and like, and, oh, my God. <laughs> like, I, Hold on a second here. With all due respect to he everyone. He was 21 like, years old when they traded him. No, no, it's, no. It's, but but there's, yeah. a, there's a couple of things we need to understand here. First of all, the context is Chicago wanted to weaken their team because they basically wanted to tank for Connor Bedard. Everybody knows that. Yeah. That's number one. Number two, all right, and I respect everyone's opinion, but 
just because a team trades a player, it doesn't mean they're right. We were talking about Marty St. Louis. Yeah. There's 30 teams or 28 teams or whatever it was that didn't draft him. That didn't and then he cleared waivers enough. after that. And then he cleared waivers after that. And at one point, he went on to be one of the top three players in the National Hockey League, a superstar, an Olympian, a gold medalist, a Stanley Cup champion, <laughs> a hockey Hall of Famer, right? There are teams that trade players and they end up making a bad move. Yeah. And, and you can look at why did Chicago trade him? Well, on the other hand, look at, well, why did Montreal want him? What did they see in him that made them want them? You know, I did a story this offseason on uh, Nate Thompson, who played for, I can't even remember how many. Chicago traded Table Tarvine in, too. He turned out to be a pretty good player. Exactly. But, I mean, the fact you traded, the, the fact another team wants you factors into that also. There's got to be a team that wants you out there. So the Canadians obviously can't use, and that comes, again, to can't use the relationships he has with players throughout the league. You know, he's represented players on all different teams. You know, Chris Letang, before he made the trade for Mike Matheson, he called Chris Letang to ask what he thought about Mike Matheson. Um, it's, it's, he knows players around the league. So I'm sure he knows guys who were in the Chicago locker room. He knows guys who played with Kirby, like what happened in Chicago. As, as you're saying with Marty, Marty doesn't want to judge what Newhook did in Colorado because he doesn't know the environment. Um, Ken Hughes does his homework. And for whatever reason, it wasn't working out with Kirby Doc in Chicago. Uh, now it's working out in Montreal under a new coach. He just needed a fresh start. We'll see if he can continue it this season. Hopefully he can for the Canadiens' sake. I don't see any reason why he won't continue to progress under Marty St. Louis the same way Cole Caulfield did. And for Alex Newhook, another thing. So why did why did Colorado trade Alex Newhook? There's lots of reasons players get traded. Uh, you know, why did the Canadians trade Arturi Lekin? It wasn't because he wasn't a good player. It was because they got something else in return and he fit in with, with, with Colorado. But to say that, well, well you're so talking, good, why did Chicago trade him? Well, that's Was Boston like, right to trade Joe Thornton? No. Like, well, there's a perfect example. They lost the deal? I, I have people, you know, I, I want to say I've been hired on Slavkowski. I think I've been honest with Slavkowski. He did not look like he deserved, like he was ready to play in the NHL last season. He was sort I of agree with you, by there. the way. He should have been in Laval. He was lost out there. I mean, I understand why they started him here as a number one pick, but he just, he, he looked lost. And I thought they should have sent him to Laval, or at least sent him to the World Juniors. Uh, they didn't. I, oh, you don't like so No, I, I, I like stuff. I can see why the Canadians, there's a lot of potential there. And Joe Thornton's a perfect example of that, Tony. This guy, you know, high draft pick by the Boston Bruins, didn't work out in Boston. Why did Boston trade him? You know, if he was that good. Well, Boston was wrong because Joe Thornton turned out to be uh, a Hall of Fame hockey player. You know why Boston traded him? Because they pinned their first round loss to the Canadians on him. Yep. And on his leadership. And and by the way, it, they were wrong because Joe Thornton turned out to be a pretty good player in the National Hockey League for a very, very long time. Yeah. To judge to judge a, a, a you know, 21, 22-year-old player the same way you would judge a 26 or 27-year-old player, um, you know, a guy like Jonathan Drouin with a lot more time in the NHL and reasons why the Canadians traded him, uh, or a guy like Yoel Armia now, I wonder if he's even going to make the Canadians roster this season at age 30. Uh, but a 21, 22-year-old guy, um, just because he struggled his first couple of years in the NHL doesn't mean he can't play in the NHL. It doesn't mean that he can't develop. And sometimes coaches don't develop guys properly. We saw that you know, yeah. with Cole Caulfield with Dominic Ducharme. Was Cole Caulfield a lousy hockey player with Dominic Ducharme, or was he just a player who was 
uncomfortable with the system he was playing in. The coach couldn't get the best out of him. Uh, and and so Dominic joined me. Dominic joined me on the podcast. Yeah. I would say, give or take, maybe about a month yeah, and a half that, ago. Yeah. And and you know what? He look. He did say some things that I think made sense. You know, he just got called up, and it was it was it was a big step. And then. He was. We were planning on playing him in the third game in the playoffs. It was all planned that he would take the first two games off. What he didn't mention, and I think where it went wrong, is when he put Cole Caulfield on the fourth line. Yeah. You know, you don't put Cole Caulfield on a fourth line. Cole Caulfield is a goal scorer. He needed to be on one of the top two lines to produce. He needed to play with better players. And I and and basically by putting him on the fourth line and cutting down his minutes, it affected Cole's confidence. Like how many uh, times have we seen that happen, Tony, with Canadians prospects in the past? Called up, play a few games on the fourth line, don't produce, back to Laval or whatever, and, and that's one of the reasons they have problems developing players. Yeah. Okay, uh, Tanner Pearson. Um, Kent Hughes was asked about him and, and, and said, you know, he was asked, what's his status? And he said, look, uh, I spoke to Anthony Beauvillier. He said, uh, Pearson has been skating. Pearson has, you know, he's got legs. He's looking good. He's skating well. In terms of that that injured hand, that injured hand is 80%. Uh, how long is it going to take before it gets to 100%? I don't know. Uh, we're going to get him in camp. He's arriving in Montreal, he said, today. So he's here by now. And he said he'll be at camp. And, uh, and you know, we'll evaluate at that point. He also said, you know, we I thought we needed to add a little bit of gray hair to this young group. So he said, you know what, we needed... We needed to add some veterans to a, a, a young team. And basically, you know what? If a young player can go out there and they can make the team, all the power to them. But if they're not ready, we're not going to put them on the team just for the sake of putting them on the team. Because when we do put them on the team, we don't want to yo-yo them back and forth. We'd like for them to be able to make the jump at one point permanently. So he said, um, this doesn't mean that Pearson's on the team and it doesn't mean that a young player is not going to make the team it just means we have more depth and we have more options speaking of which and i think you tweeted this out i took a picture of it do we have the schedule by any chance do we have it i think we do yeah i tweeted it out earlier today here we go okay so uh earlier today was medical and fitness testing and then there was media availability of course with kent hughes and marty saint louis tomorrow 9.30 a.m. scrimmage, Team A uh, and B. 10.40 a.m. on ice practice, Team A. 11.25 a.m. open ice practice, Team B. 1.30 p.m. scrimmage, Teams C and D. 2.40 p.m. on ice practice, Team C. And 3.30 p.m. on ice practice, Team D. And 4.30 p.m., media availability with head coach Marty St. Louis. There's also going to be Friday. You're, you're seeing it up on the screen. It's yeah. going to start at 9 a.m., and it's going to finish probably, uh, give or take, uh, I would say, at around uh, just past 4 o'clock. And on Saturday, it's going to start at 9 a.m., and it's going to finish, give or take, past 4 o'clock. So, yeah, and uh, Sunday's the red versus white game at 1 o'clock at the Bell Center also. Uh, correct. That is correct. So I guess you're gonna. I know where you're gonna be over the next couple of days, or what? Yeah, I'll be busy. I mean, it's open to the public there also in Brossard for fans who want to stop by and uh, and check it out, which is, is always cool to see. Um, you're gonna be there yeah, tomorrow morning. Right away, is, well, sorry, are you gonna be there at nine thirty tomorrow? Yeah, I'll be there for the first scrimmage. I haven't seen yet uh, who's on which teams. 
uh, I didn't look well for the last hour, so I don't know if Kane sent that out, but it'll be interesting to see who's playing with who and, you know, who's playing with Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. Obviously, it'd be interesting to see. He didn't want to but, answer that today, did he? Well, he said there's got, they have options, and, and he's right. I mean, they do have a lot of options. Does Kirby Doc go back there? Uh, or do they what, what, does that mean? what does that mean to you when he's asked, I would imagine you're going to keep Suzuki and Caulfield together, so who's going to play yeah. with them? And he says, we have options. You yeah. hear that. What do you think he's saying? I think he doesn't know for certain. And when I asked him that question uh, at the golf tournament, his answer was, I don't know. I think he doesn't know. They don't like. So I, what I think he's saying, I think, I think what he's trying to say is we're going to see more than one person there this year. I think we're going to see oh, for sure. There. During, yeah. You're going to see more than during the preseason. You're going to see more than one guy there. I mean, Kirby doc looked really good on that line. last Amazing. Uh, and you know, when he spoke at the golf tournament, you could read between lines. He'd love to play with them again. hundred uh, percent. But but do the Canes want to do that and stack that line, or do they really want to put Kirby Dock at center? Why wouldn't uh, you? You don't have to play center. You don't have to play the 200-foot game. You don't have to have the yeah. defensive responsibility. You don't have to take the draws. You're going to be playing with two yeah. great players, and they're going to put the puck on your stick. You're going to score goals. And in a couple of years from now, when your contract's going to be up, you're going to be able to double the money you're getting now because well, you're picking up points. The other good thing about picking up Newhook, Newhook can play center and wing and – so can Kirby Doc. So there's op that's the option. They can move those yeah. guys back and forth, play center, play wing, play wherever. So it's uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see who. I mean, when Jerry Slavkowski in the future, whenever he's ready or if he does become ready, that's a guy you know you think I remember asking Slavkowski the day before the day before the draft or a couple of days before the draft in Old Montreal when they had all the prospects. I asked him, you know, why should the Canadians draft you? And he talked about he could play with Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki. He's not ready to do that yet. Now, yeah, yeah. it wasn't last season. I'm moving forward. Maybe he is the guy. So, do you put Doc in that spot this season and maybe next season until Slavkowski is ready to move in and you move back, Doc back to center? We were There's all kinds of that, different man. options. I think the two guys we're going to see there to start are going to be Newhook uh, and or Doc. Um, maybe we'll even see Slavkowski play with him yeah. during a preseason game just to see what he can do. Uh, but you know. The other thing that was interesting today, you were talking remember, about... Remember that day we had a lot of laughs with Slavkowski? Oh, that was, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's, that's, that's true. Yeah, we had a lot couldn't of believe laughs. how big when Slavkowski walked in, just how friggin' big he was. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, that, was a, that was a fun day. It was a beautiful day there in Old Montreal. But we were talking earlier about, you know, the, the veteran versus the young guy. And it was Arpin Basu asked Marty a good question today about, <clears throat> excuse me, how do you balance the, you know, you want young guys playing because this is a rebuilding team. But how do you balance that about, you know, playing the veteran guy with the experience and you know what you're going to get? And as usual, you know, Marty gave a good answer. Actually, I have a quote in front of me here. I don't know if you guys have the uh, – he uh, said it's a fine line. Uh, we got to figure that part out. We're going to make decisions that are going to help the team now but also not hurt the team for the future. Those are not easy decisions, but we're going to take everything into consideration. We're going to make the best educated decision we could make. And that's – Another smart answer. Like they're they're yeah. gonna look and see, like you know. So do you, is Tanner Pearson? I think, I think he added that it's a little bit of a juggling act. I don't know if that was the yeah, same answer. The, the, yeah, you know, yeah, it is. He yeah. said it's a, I, actually it's uh, uh, it's a juggling act a little bit. There's no doubt about that. And I know yeah. we're gonna have some hard decisions to make. At the end of the day, I think it's a good problem to have hard decisions to make, and it is. And they're gonna have some hard decisions to make during this camp and at the end of the camp as far as who's staying and forward. And same on defense. They're gonna have. Uh, they're going to have some tough, tough decisions to make there. You know, I mentioned like Yule Army. Is there a spot on Yule Army? Is there a spot for him on this team, or is it 
Emil Heinemann? Is he going to you know, put him there? Do you uh, or Yolan? I mean, those are two guys for the future. Um, you know, looking at defense, so Gustav Lindstrom, the, the guy they got from the defense they got from Detroit from Petrie. Like, is he is he ready to take a spot from one of the guys who were there last year? Or does he end up in Laval? You know, Justin Barron, who started last year in Laval, they got a lot of juggling acts to do here as far as uh, what they're going to do with the younger guys or the older guys. And I guess the, the the good spot about that, or the good part about that for Canadians fans, I mean, the team in Laval is going to be a lot of fun to watch this year. They're going to be so many young guys down there, uh, future potential future Canadians playing on the farm team, which hasn't been the case in Laval for a long time. There's been a bunch of guys playing there. It wasn't like guys that were going to be playing with the Canadians in a year or two. Uh, you know, Raphael Harvey Pernard, an exception to that, but uh, Laval's gonna be a fun team to watch this season. Uh, yeah, they're gonna be a, a fun team to watch for sure. And and you know, one guy who what was it? It was a couple of weeks ago, probably give or take about three weeks ago, who said, You'll see when all is said and done, I'll make this team out of camp. Is Emil Heineman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emil Heineman said that he's gonna make this team yeah. out of camp, and and I think out of all the players that who weren't on this team last year. I yeah. think he's the guy who's got the best shot. But now you bring in Tanner Pearson, and I'm starting to wonder if uh, Heineman just won't start the year in Laval again. Or is Pearson there to replace Yule Army as a veteran presence? That's that's the other thing I'm wondering I've, about. I've given Canada. up on Armia, by the way. I got no. Yeah, well, I mean, he's just. You know. I mean, so have I. I mean, to me, like he's 30 years old. He doesn't have a future with his team. Unfortunately for the Canadians, he still has two years left on that contract with a $3.4 million cap hit. I think that's untradeable. Um, if you send him to Laval, you hope someone claims him on waivers. I don't see that happening. Um, I, but told I, mean, Eric, I told Eric yesterday, I don't think Armia has a lot of heart, and 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 he he looks at it a different way. But, I mean, I just, you know, I don't like to question a player's heart because obviously they well, all do. But, I mean, he's got such a, a – he's got such um he's got so many tools in his toolbox that if the heart and the desire would follow, they would come together at some point. Well – the way I describe Army is he comes. He's the worst interview in the world. Like he's, he's really shy. He doesn't like to talk. It's hard to get any kind of an answer out of him. That's okay. He's just that's his personality. But yeah, he's a big, nice, shy, quiet guy. Unfortunately, he plays like a big, nice, shy, quiet guy. Good. good he doesn't. One. He doesn't have that sandpaper. He doesn't have that. Raphael Harvey Pennard. I'm going to do anything I can. To score a goal or make the NHL or the Brendan Gall, he just he doesn't he doesn't have it. It's just not part of his DNA. As I said, he's a big nice guy and he plays hockey like a big nice guy. And and with all the talent in the world, <clears throat> you watch him at practice. He's got the size, the shot, the speed, the, you know, everything. I mean, you know, he got that contract because he played so well in the playoffs in the fourth line. Uh, you know, the, I'm trying to remember who he's with Corey Perry and um, Stahl. And I still, I still wonder this day if Corey Perry threatened him in the playoffs. <laughs> you better start playing hard, or you're gonna have to deal with me. Uh, but he got that big contract after that, and then uh, 30 years old, uh, he is who he is. And uh, I just don't see having him play for the Canadians now is really taking away a spot from a younger guy. And that's why when they got Pearson, I wondered if Armia comes into that because they still want they want a veteran presence. Uh, Pearson's only got one year left in his contract. He's won a Stanley Cup. Um, you know, from Marty Sanders talked to this guy who goes to the net, uh, tough, rugged player. He's got size. 
So I wonder if that's sort of the veteran presence they want around the team more so uh, than Yol Armia. And, you know, Yol Armia, maybe he'll training camp, light it up and earn a spot. But uh, from, you know, watching him for the last three or four years, or ever in Montreal, he looks like a superstar for two games and he disappears for two months. Uh, is there something that came out of the, those that, that, that presser earlier today, some of the answers by either Hughes or St. Louis that we haven't touched on yet before we go that like really caught your attention? Well, the one was, Marty was talking about just the, there is a real, when you're around this team, at least last season, there's a real bond with these players, these young guys. They really like each other. You can, it, you can tell just being around them, the way they're joking when, you know, you're waiting for a guy to be interviewed. You hear guys in the background joking with each other, clowning around. They just seem to have a lot of fun together. I was at the Lasso Country Music Festival uh, this summer. Uh, Park Jean Drapeau and Suzuki was there and Jack I was there and a few of the other. Logan Mayo was there, uh, the, the, Josh Anderson. And they were just having a blast together. They were, they were having beers. They were, they were on the screen and they were up on the stage. And they're just, they really like being around each other and i think that's part of what the plan is with this rebuilding is to get all these guys 22 23 24 years old who, who really like each other and i'm just trying to find the quote here my list of quotes because marty st louis was asked about that today and he said uh yeah here it is he says uh, i think it was eric who asked them you know what what about this team might have them surprise people like do better maybe make the playoffs and marty said when the guys care for one another they can accomplish way more that's just in anything, in any sport. Guys have to care for one another, and I think they do. The success on the ice sometimes starts so far from the ice. That locker room is usually where it starts. And this is a, a, a really good locker room. From me being around, we were you know, limited access that we get to the locker room, but we did yeah. get in there after practices and games and whatnot. They like each other. You can tell they like being around each other. It's it's a tight group. It's a bonded group. There's guys going to be fighting each other for positions this year, uh, but I think that they're they're a group of guys who really get along well. They have a young captain in Nick Suzuki who's well respected and well liked by his teammates. I was at an event at the elementary school in Lachine the other day, and Suzuki yeah. was there part of the Breakfast Club for Canada and and stuff that the captain of the Canadians needs to do or should do, right? Be out in the public, be out in schools, be meeting people. It's it's being captain of the Canadians is more than just what you do on the locker room or on the ice. You know, in the column I wrote the other day, like John Bellow was the epitome of what a Canadian's captain should be. But there's just a young group with a young leader. Uh, they got Brendan Gallagher as an assistant captain. They got Mike Matheson as a new assistant captain. So Suzuki's got good veterans to support him. Uh, but they're a group that really likes each other on and off the ice. And as Marty said, I think that can go a long way uh, to seeing results on the ice as this rebuilding process continues. What did you make of the Boston Bruins naming uh, Brad Marchand captain earlier today? I just keep thinking of him licking. Who was it he licked on the face there in the playoffs a few years ago? Was it with, uh, that's, that's the image. I mean, it's – I don't know. I mean, it's – Brad Marchand is uh, – some of the stuff he – does right Callahan yeah some of the stuff he does uh on and probably heard off the ice are not signs of a great leader to me but I'm not around the Boston locker room I don't know he's 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 learned a lot he's learned a lot from Patrice Bergeron here's a player yeah three finals he's won one cup and yeah he gives the bet he gives 120 percent every game every practice uh different personality from Bergeron though big big difference in personality but again not being around the Bruins I mean they obviously think he's the right guy for the job and 
we'll see uh we'll see what happens i mean i can't i'm not sure how many times he's been suspended it's a few times not that that means he can't be a captain but uh he's not sort of the um maybe the calming influence that i think nick suzuki can be on his teammates uh, Stu, thanks so much. I think we had a great chat. I think everyone enjoyed it. Everyone's watching right now on YouTube. If you liked it, like it, share it with your friends. Comment sick, S-I-C-K, S-I-C-K, S-I-C-K. And uh, also, if you're watching on Apple, Google, or Spotify, leave us a five-star review if you can. It's our way of feeling the love. It says Festivus via YouTube. The Bruins are missing the playoffs this year. Um, I'm not so sure about that. But... They are weaker. There's no doubt about it. Stu, do the Canadians make the playoffs? I'll ask you right now, September 20th. There's a lot that can change between now and opening night for them on October 11th. But do you think the Canadians will make the playoffs? I say no. I think they'll be better than they were last year. They'll make an improvement. Uh, but I just think they're too young, too inexperienced. There's going to be growing pains going forward. Again, the goaltending situations. You know, if, carry price was, if a healthy carry price was there, I'd say they have a legitimate chance of maybe squeaking in. Uh, but I just don't think they're ready this season. Uh, next season, I think, will be a different story. Next season, I think they might be ready to make that step to get their foot in the door and get in the playoffs. I think a lot of people, I think some people are starting to look at it and saying, hey, hold on a second here. Take a look at last year and how much they missed the playoffs by. Take a look at all the injuries they had. If they mm-hmm. stay relatively healthy and they're able to win one and a half games per month more, there's a pretty good chance they can make the playoffs. So we'll see what well, happens. As I said earlier, as I said earlier, I wouldn't be totally shocked if they get in. As Ken used it, that's why they play the game. Stranger things have happened. But yeah, for now, as you're asking me now, before the season starts, of what they have and what they're going for, I think it's going to be a fun team to watch. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching them. I'm looking forward to training camp. They'll compete. They showed last season, even you know they finished 20th. They never stopped competing. There might have been two games last year where maybe they gave up a little bit in the third period. But um, that was the biggest change from the season before, just the compete level. And I think that goes back to what we were talking about, how the players like each other, they respect each other in the locker room, they want to fight for each other, they want to play for each other. So would I be totally shocked if they get in the playoffs? No. Do I think they will? I, I, I just don't think they're ready to make that step this season to get in the playoffs. Thanks, Stu. If uh, I'm able to cure this cold by tomorrow morning, I'll see you in uh, Brassard. Uh, All right, Tony. Tomorrow. All right, cheers. Have a good one. Thanks for uh, joining me. There you have it, Stu Cowan. For Agnello, Sammy, and Juliana at Master Control, their Cavallaro, I want to thank you so much. You are our sick army. You are our sick community. This is the number one Habs podcast in the world, if I do say so from myself, humbly speaking, that is. Why? Not because of me, but because of you. Same time, same place, tomorrow night. You're always there. You're always there for the appointments. It's become a regular thing. We see you. We see the chat. We see the comments. We see everything. We see that you're present, and we see that uh, you're so engaged, and we thank you so much, and you're a big reason why we do what we do. So that said, we'll talk to you again tomorrow night, same time, same place, 10 p.m. Eastern. They're Cavallaro. I'm Marinaro. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow The Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination.